Hello and welcome! You are listening to Desperate Acts of Capitalism, a podcast about money, marketing, and how it all goes wrong. Join us on our magical journey through a wonderland of burning money. I'm Evan Swope. And I'm C.T. Kelly. And today, I was I was just telling Evan, um, I kind of hit gold with this episode. I'm... I'm very excited to do this. Excellent. This was this was one of those episodes where it's like it doing the research for this one was a lot like the uh the Radio Shack episode. Okay. Where it was it's a topic that I think a lot of people have come across, but I had no idea that there was this much stuff behind the scenes. Right. Okay. And the interest the the interesting thing about this story isn't necessarily like the overall arc like it's not as it's not as dramatic as uh, a tragedy as the radio shack episode yeah but just the it it is a fantastic look into the mind of one man okay and that that man and that man is peter arnell peter arnell so peter arnell's early life uh Peter Arnell's early life story is a classic tale of struggle, perseverance, and reinvention. Arnell grew up in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn. His father, a mechanical engineer who changed the family name from Abramovitz to Arnell, abandoned the family when Peter was young. His mother was unable to cope with caring for him and his sisters, and so the two of them were raised by her father, a Russian-Jewish immigrant who worked as a fishmonger, and his wife. Arnell was profoundly influenced by his grandfather's strong work ethic and would sometimes rise at dawn to work with him at Manhattan's Fulton Fish Market in 1976. Mm. Uh, Arnell later graduated from Brooklyn Technical High School, making the end of his formal education uh, or marking the end of his formal education, sorry. Uh, Soon after, he met postmodernist architect Michael Graves at a lecture and talked his way into an internship. It was at Graves Studio that he met Princeton architecture student Ted Bickford and started collaborating with him on books about artists and architects. So that was basically how he got started, yeah. right? So he would work with, he would make uh, coffee table books, right? Okay. Yeah. He would, he, like, throughout all of this, throughout this entire story, um, one thing I want you to keep in mind is that Peter Arnell does have genuine artistic chops. Right. I, I spent a lot of time going through his his portfolio, mm-hmm. especially from his, his earlier years here, and he has he has a good brain for space, for how an object should look in, in physical 3D space, and translating okay. that into translating that into something like a photograph. Like right. a lot of his early work is photography, mm. and but specifically, it's he he's he is very good at like taking like an interesting looking architectural building, and then photographing it in a way that really captures the like photographing it in such a way that act that captures the real build, beauty of the building. Mm. If that makes sense, the often sought after, sought after, you know, touch that uh, that people try to find with photographs of things. 
mm-hmm. capturing that inner essence in with you know like an angle. Not a lot of people have the eye for it though. It's 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 one of those things that takes like some people just have a brain for it. Yeah. You know, some people are just better at thinking about objects in 3D space. Right. And Peter Arnell genuinely does have a really solid grasp of you know, space and form and color. Okay. Let's see, let's see, let's see. So, so basically, for most of his early life, he collaborated with Ted Bickford, um, basically making coffee table books of, you know, artists and architects. Yeah. In the early 1980s, then fashion director of Bergdorf Goodman, Don Mello, hired the duo to create ads for the for their legendary department store. Ah. So this is a huge break for him. Right. right? The budding design team got their big break when fashion designer Donna uh, Donna Karan asked them to create an ad for her. They would later go on to design her iconic DKNY logo. Wow. Yeah, so that that entire brand, that's all Peter Arnell and uh, and his his partner. Wow, so he's like one of the most, you know, like high-profile designers in the world at that point he's like I would put I would put Peter Arnell like he's up there with Sergio Zyman the uh, mm. the new coke guy he's one of these like okay he's he's like a genuine savant when it comes to branding and that okay. is that is entirely true okay um like again keep in mind he is he is genuinely very good at this all right, I, I'm concerned and, why that has to be a preface. <laughs> by the mid by the mid 1980s, uh, the Arnell Bickford agency was on a roll with clients including Bank of America, Chanel, Condé Nast, Tommy Hilfiger, Tommy Hilfiger, uh, Reebok, and Chrysler. So some of the biggest brands in the world. He and he redefined how these companies branded Mm. right right and and specifically it's like arnell bickford was who you went to if you really like basically the thing that they were most famous for was they were they were exactly who you would go to if you wanted your brand to be kind of sleek and sexy right yeah both of these guys came out of the the architecture and the art world and so okay. if you wanted something sophisticated and clean, you went to Arnell Bickford. But okay. in addition to that, they were also very, very good at product design, mm. right? Like if you needed like a new can for your beverage or, uh, you know, some some physical object that needed to be packaged in an yeah. interesting way, you would go to them. Right. But in addition to that, they were also, if it's like, if you had some money saved up and you wanted to try something really crazy, Arnell Bickford was who you would go to. Okay. Right. If you wanted like something totally revolutionary. Yeah. Like big, huge brands with like a lot of money to burn. Just like, let's try to do this crazy rebrand or some experiment in our branding and stuff. Well, they, they did stuff like, um, like one of their biggest clients was Samsung. Okay. And they, um, yeah, like Samsung, you know. Yeah, like, like the seventh largest, seventh largest corporation on earth, or something. Yeah. Um, well, they were, 
basically Bickford Arnell completely changed, like completely revamped how they branded their uh, specifically their line of microwaves. Oh, interesting. By because and what they did was they just made the box in the shape of the microwave, like they they just <laughs> so the box looked like the microwave. I mean, it's yeah. simple, but like you know, that's kind of genius. Yet, even as Arnell's star rose, stories began to circulate about his volatile temper and misogynistic <laughs> attitude towards women. Here we go. Buckle in, everyone. Great. Great. The harsh, the harsh reality of working for Arnell was exposed in detail by a sexual harassment suit brought against him by four former assistants in the 1990s. Four former assistants. Holy yeah. shit. The suit accused Arnell of verbally abusing plaintiffs during his, quote, fits of rage simply for being women, uh, letting off strings of expletives and degrading them for the benefit of uh, male employees present. Oh, boy. I mean, like, for, you know, like, an executive at a design company, and what year was this? 1990? Yeah, like, I feel like that's pretty common. It's, it's weird, though, because he's not... Like, it's like when you hear about a sexual... Like, people have had to get clever about their sexual harassment nowadays. Right. You know? It's like you... It's always this weird, like... Like, it's always this weird, like, Louis C.K., like, second-hand sexual harassment stuff. Yeah, like psychological manipulation kind of thing. Right, because, like, it's, like, just now becoming... Like, you just can't slap women on the butt anymore. Yeah. Like it's, it only became not okay to do that like last year. The insane reality <laughs> that it's like only now is that not okay. Before, like right. in the '90s, that was just like what you did if you were an executive. But and like, Peter Arnell was, I mean, even for the 1990s, he was misogyn. He was like a cartoon version of a misogynist, <laughs> like advertising executive. Right. Right. He like some of the shit he pulled legitimately makes like the characters on Mad Men look tame. Oh god. But it's not it's not in this like scary sinister way. It's in this really weird like goofy over the top cartoonish way. Right. Just like going up to women randomly and like screaming at them for no reason. Like it's right. It's just like the like we talk about there's a lot of talk about like hating women. You know, but a lot of misogyny is just like it's it's just objectification. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you you see women as lesser than, and it's not. There's no malice in it. But then you hear this shit about Peter Arnell, and it's like I legitimately think he hates women. Yeah, right. <laughs> like he he actually he actually harbors intense malice towards yeah. women. <laughs> like he's angry that women are the way that they are. Right, like a lot of misogyny is like a power thing. It's like, yeah. hmm, I must, I must show my superiority. But he like legitimately, yeah. he, like holds he, a grudge. Yeah, it's really weird. What the hell, Peter? Freaking weirdo. Right, he. I, I. It's fascinating. All right, all right. Yeah. He would frequently use foul and abusive language to reduce uh, office workers, particularly women, to tears for the way they uh, took a message, phrased a question, or cleaned the top of his desk. Uh, His lawyers gave up on... Oh my god. His lawyers gave up on even trying to defend his clients... uh, 
His lawyer gave up on even trying to defend her client's behavior, and they could only claim that the actions were, quote, not illegal. (laughs) She cited in her motion, quote, the right to free speech in responding to the plaintiff's defamation and emotional distress claims. Great. The the essence of Arnell's defense, quote, as case law demonstrates, words like stupid, useless, worthless, and incompetent constitute non-actionable, protected opinions. The suit was eventually settled out of court. Yeah, of course it was. It's like just right there. It's like good luck, you know. Yeah, exactly. So they just he didn't just pays them off. Like he's not going to win that case. Right. Exactly. But it's, like, given every advantage that, like, male misogynists have in the legal system, it's, like, that's how misogynist Peter Arnell was, is that he had to, he just had to take the L on this. Yeah, well, it's like you said, like, you know, like, most, a lot of these cases are so, like, it's hard to prove because everything was hidden and it's, like, secondhand, but it's, like, no, it's, like, he just would yell at women and, like, you know, like, shout expletives at them. His behavior is just so cartoonishly indefensible. Yeah, you can't, like, talk about it without just proving exactly what he did. (laughs) Right! (laughs) Meanwhile, a feature article during the summer of 1996 in American Photo Magazine about one of his campaigns captured an exchange in which Arnell berated his staff for their work. The reporter wrote that Arnell said his outburst was, quote, a good opportunity to spread a little healthy fear among the crew. (laughs) Great. This guy's a lunatic. He, I, I, I genuinely don't know what to make make of him. Yeah. I, we can have a discussion once we've we've finished all of this. Right. All right. In two thousand and seven, when Arnell made Gawker's list of quote New York's worst bosses, oh one God. employee was moved to defend the man quote like and this is a guy this is a guy defending him. Yeah. Quote, it's all true. Arnell's a really difficult boss, as well as a sadist with a uh, with a lowercase sans serif s. He's also a crude bully, a terrible coward, and famously insecure, uh, and uh, and famously insincere. But in his favor, when he's not pretending to kiss the ass of the insipid rich, powerful, and famous, he shows a refreshing contempt for authority and takes an anarchistic delight in creative destruction. His saving grace is that the man is ultimately an aesthete. One of his many fetishes, his love of beauty, has compelled him to create some of the most beautiful advertising work in the last 20 years. Basically, that was saying, like, he's a despicable human on all accounts, but he does great work. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, like his morality is saved by the quality of his work. He's He's a despicable pawn scum of a human being, but... God damn, could he rebrand a car company? Which, unfortunately, is, like, a lot of people's logic of these these people who are like, yeah, he was a despicable human, but he made some great music. It's like, yeah, how does yeah, that, totally. like, I don't know. There, While there is an, an element of separate the art from the artist, it's like, this guy was the head of a team. You yeah. know, he relied on other people to do work for him and it's possible to be a genius and not be an asshole exactly exactly yeah that's the thing it's just it's like oh he's just a tortured soul because he's such a a genius it's like it's okay we deserve to be yelled at we're we're like ropes on the goodyear blimp you know right it's 
Well, just look at Sergio Zyman. It's like he was. I mean, people called him the fucking Ayacola. Yeah. That's just be. That's just because he was like a good. He was a brutally efficient businessman. It's like yeah. the the only violence that Sergio Zyman actually participated in was against other corporations, not yeah. individuals, right? But <laughs> Peter Tab Arnell Cola. is right <laughs> against Tab Cola. But Peter Arnell is just a terrible person right yeah additionally on the sadist tip we hear that he made one assistant lean over while he quote played her behind like bongo drums <laughs> i mean talk about cartoonish like this is exactly but it's like imagine being the like secretary that that happened to it's like how do you even react to that yeah is this like is this traumatizing question mark <laughs> right it's just like it's so it's so like goofy it, i would be like stunned i wouldn't know how to react i would just sort yeah. of like stand up and leave the room like all right i'm yeah. just like gonna pretend that didn't happen because it's like yeah it's horrible and misogynistic but it's also kind of cringy yeah exactly it's like <laughs> do you laugh or cry at that point it's it's clear like he's still a dickhead and it's still like not cool but it's just like (laughs) nor is it ethical or appropriate for the workplace (laughs) it's just such a weird way to it's just such a weird way to harass someone yeah uh or that he quote has seriously arm twisted uh employees into staying on a train for into staying on to train their replacements like like not not arm twisted as in like manipulated them as in like he act he like got them in a joint lock <laughs> like he he's like physically assaulted people this is like alex jones or something it's weird he lo- okay i would say alex jones but he looks like seinfeld <laughs> oh god the he worst like, possible combination he looks like he looks like a weird like manlet version of seinfeld <laughs> God, I hate that I just used the word manlet. <laughs> yeah. In, but it's in like, the same sentence as Seinfeld. Yeah, but it's like n- literally nobody deserves the term manlet more than Pete than Peter Arnell. <laughs> he's such he's just such a, an utterly despicable human being. Yeah, right. Oh my god. He's also been accused of quote trashing studios solely for the pleasure of forcing underlings to clean it up. Sounds like Adam Newman. Right, but it's like Adam Newman was just like Adam Newman was just a hedonist, you know? Right. It's like, like he just wanted to have a good time, but <laughs> but it's like yeah. I, Peter Arnold would trash offices like not because he wanted to, but because he wanted to mess with people and get them to clean it up and just make just, their lives worse. Just because he wanted to exercise this weird power boner over other people. Yeah. But I it's like that's literally something like a cat will do when it's mad at you it'll like yeah. it'll like poop on your shoes or something yeah because it knows that you have to clean it up now right <laughs> it's like just the most like childish shit yeah exactly quote uh once he freaked out in a meeting because a cd did not work in the cd player so he took the cd out and smashed it into pieces <laughs> on the conference room table the IT guy, who was standing behind him, ended up going to the hospital because the shards from the CD flew into his eyes. Yeah, I mean, 
God, I just like imagine. Okay, like, I, I, I'm, a, I wanted to save this for business desserts, but I think it's applicable. I, yeah, like, hit it. Okay, so at my at my job, at, on I think like Thursday of this week, I was in a meeting with like, with an associate and our boss, and mm-hmm. my coworker and my boss got into a fight on oh, the call and we're like you know like started get it started getting really tense and they were like calling each other names and stuff and like oh my god like, and like that was like one of the most like uncomfortable like was it just like, you and them yeah it was just me and them and it's like so awkward oh my yeah god. literally like and they were just going at each other and just like telling each other to stop talking like let me talk like you know like all this stuff. like why are you confronting me about it's just like and that like was enough to like make my heart start racing like I yeah, can't that's... imagine being in a room where a guy takes a CD out of a CD player <laughs> and smashes it. Like times have changed. Like I mean, obviously Peter Arnell's a special case, but like, like, I mean, it should not be appropriate. Like it is not appropriate to like get no. into a fight with your boss on a Zoom call. But, like, like it is like hella inappropriate to like smash something. That is just like that's horrible. Right. It's just like. Like you, you don't work for that guy anymore. It's like you, you yeah. stop, you stop respecting that guy. You stop listening to anything that guy says. Exactly. Quote: When you go to a meeting in his office, he makes everyone wait at the door and then directs each person where to sit by hierarchy and whatever mood he's feeling. God. He legitimately like orders people. Like he has p- people sit in a line based on how much he loves them. <laughs> This is some, like, Doc Antle shit. It's so weird. And it's, like... But it's so, like, meaningless. It's, like, yeah. Peter Arnell doesn't even get to have sex with these people. Right. Yeah. He's just... He's just doing this to be mean. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, like, what is in it for you, dude? Nothing. There's literally no benefit. He's just... He just enjoys being mean to people. Oh, man. But Peter Arnell's personality is not why we are doing an episode on him. Okay, okay. This is all secondary to the actual story here. (laughs) Oh, God. A a man named Massimo D'Amore, a rising star at Pepsi's international operations, hired Arnell's team, believing that Peter was the genius to rebrand all of PepsiCo's beverages, including Tropicana, America's number one orange juice brand. During this time, he was dropping weight from over 400 pounds to just over 150 by eating nothing but oranges. Wait, the Pepsi guy? No, Peter. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> what is Which this? Is... Steve Jobs, like the Steve Jobs diet? What is going on? It's, it wasn't just, or it was like oranges and then like, it was like cucumbers dipped in sesame seeds or something. I, I don't know. It reminds me of that, uh that episode of the magic school bus when arnold does like a science project where he eats nothing but carrots or something and then his skin turns orange oh yeah yeah that's a classic episode so i wonder <laughs> if that happened to peter arnell right oh yeah it's it's that magic school bus episode where arnold gets really mad and smashes a cd and then it just dist- <laughs> like sends shards flying into phoebe's eyes hey that's not the weirdest thing arnold has ever carlos done. arnold takes his helmet off in space and dies in the first <laughs> literally episode literally dies in the pilot episode oh my god anyway okay okay 
Massimo's message to the rest of PepsiCo was to get on board with Arnell's new branding or get out. Uh, Mm. Many execs left given the ultimatum and PepsiCo's rebranding was left largely in Peter's orange stained hands. (laughs) Good. These people are smart. (laughs) Right. It's, it's like, it's like, all right, get on board or get out. It's like, you don't say shit like that to your top executives because they're just like the ones that actually like know how shit works are going to be like, I bye. Yeah. Especially like this is the nineties. So like the economy is doing well. You can just right, there's go no get another reason job. to do bullshit like this. It's so like go get another like well-paid job. Like it doesn't matter. Right. It's just uh. but like there if you're you're playing at home on your bingo cards, there you go. We've got a mass exodus from the yeah. company. <laughs> Have we figured out what people do when they get a bingo? I don't know. You give yourself a pat on the back or yeah. you get to wear your business boy badge for the day. Have a cupcake. Yeah. So, the Pepsi logo was changed to look like the old logo, but rotated a bit, with the white line <laughs> thickened in the middle. And it's, like, it looks nice. Yeah, probably like a sleeker, more modern-looking logo. Yeah, no, it's like, if you look, it's what the Pepsi logo is today. Cool. They kept it. So, the Tropicana design was changed from an orange with a straw to a glass of orange juice. An orange-shaped, uh, and the box added, like, an orange-shaped cap that you had to squeeze to open trying to does that oh, make sense yeah i think i've seen that before so it's you know the little cartons of orange juice and everything yeah well it's where the the cap is on the top well they mm-hmm. replaced that little plastic bottle cap with like a little orange shaped one and you had to kind of squeeze it like a medicine bottle to open it oh that's cute yeah it's cute um the the redesign was a triumph uh, if the goal was to anger customers and drop <laughs> sales by 20 percent within a month <laughs> we did it boys We've done it, boys. They hate us. All right, all right. So, okay, I'm going to I'm going to send Evan the the side by side comparison over Discord right now because I and so there you go. That's before and after. All right. It doesn't look terrible, right? Um, yeah. I mean, it's same same thing. It looks just more modern. I, I I definitely remember that that redesign happening. Right, right. And so, so okay. Like, what do you think was so bad about it? Like, why why did, did it hurt sales so much? God, I feel like I've heard this before. Um, I think it's because... I don't know, maybe because it's just not... There's not an orange on, on it, so people don't know what it is. Yeah, that's literally it. <laughs> Basically, what... Like, they... It's like, the design looks nice... But they got rid of the the central image of this this idea of this literal picture of an orange with a straw in it. So people would go to the store looking for their Tropicana, and they couldn't find it. Right, which really shows like it, it tells a lot about like you know like the buyer's journey or whatever. Just like how simple some things can be to just change people's behavior, because people are just... so used to like seeing like a visual identifier for what they're buying. It shows. It just goes to show you how much a lot of like brand and product designers just radically overthink shit. Yeah. It's and all about get rid being... of like the thing that like the thing that works. Right. And it's just people dramatically overthink this shit. Yeah. Like it has to be shit has to be immediately recognizable. Right. So, after a few months, a few months after the rebranding debut, PepsiCo decided to scrap the design. 
a design that cost the company millions of dollars was simply thrown out. The whole debacle was a massive embarrassment uh, the size of Coke's reformulated cola blunder (laughs) in 1985. Go listen to our new Coke episode if you want to learn more about that. It's an audience favorite. Yeah. So how did it all go wrong? Arnell and Demore did their market research. Text, test subjects largely approved of the, of the design, but what did the passionate minority think? Mm. A small percentage of test subjects, devout Tropicana fans, hated the new design. <laughs> the removal of the orange and the straw was a betrayal. It, <laughs> it made How Tropicana. How could you? Look, <laughs> How dare. I loved that orange with a straw in it like a father. <laughs> Basically, it made Tropicana look like low-grade orange juice from Concentrate and not the 100% orange juice they loved and respected. Mm, Yeah, it's like it's orange juice made from orange juice. Right. Well, if you look at the... If you look at the design, it looks like... It looks like how the the store brand would look. Yeah. If that makes sense. Right, like the the generic. Yeah, it looks like the generic brand. Right. Uh, Peter... A man whose passion for oranges was unmatched failed to see the passion Tropicana drinkers felt for their orange with a straw. Focusing on the masses, Peter and Massimo forgot to account for the passionate and loyal consumers who have the power to determine the fate of a product. The data was there in the study they conducted, but they chose to ignore it. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember in a marketing class I took, they said, like, like... 10% 10% of your customer base can give you like 80% of your of your revenue because yes, it's it's you want to appeal uh, to the the regular users. It's and that was basically Peter's mistake here. Yeah. Was well and it's it's the mistake that a lot of it's the mistake that a lot of people in charge of branding make. Yeah. Is they think all right, we, we want to go for the biggest market share. We want to go for the lowest common denominator. We right. want mass market appeal, right? Yeah. And so in trying to shoot, like they, you take an established brand and then in trying to make it, in trying to give it mass market appeal, a lot of times they kneecap that, that loyal 20% responsible yeah. for 80% of the profits and they completely destroy the brand. Exactly, because like you can have like a poll, like and say like, oh, like seventy five percent of people like this rebrand, but those seventy five percent could not even be the people that actually are regular repeat buyers of that product and who actually care about the brand. Exactly, you're alienating the people who were who for them Tropicana is already part of their like regular shopping experience. It's like every time you go to the store, you got to pick up the Tropicana. That's twenty percent right. of your customers. Right. And by by changing the brand, you alienate those people. Yeah, and then you destroy your your revenue right. stream. Which, and that's the mistake that a lot of these branding companies make is that it's like it's not always a good idea to shoot for the mass market. Yeah, especially if you already have an established niche. Right. It's not impossible, but it can be a fatal mistake. Yeah. Oh, Peter Arnell was fired from the agency he started, and uh, oh, no. Massimo Demore retired a couple years later after having left PepsiCo worse than he, uh, worse than when he took on his larger role. It's safe to say that both individuals left the field in some level of disgrace. I think my work here is done. But remember, like, think about that. 
Peter Arnell was fired from the agency that bore his name. Yeah. But even this misstep wasn't enough to kill Arnell. Because on February 11th, 2009, the press got a hold of Breathtaking, a 27-page design document that detailed the transformation of the Pepsi logo. I have included some highlights here. And uh, so this is this is going to be the read-along portion at home. So if you if you go out and you Google breath like breathtaking Pepsi, uh, there will be a PDF that you can download. Now, Evan, I would like you to do this right now and read along with me. All right. Because this is like I spend a lot of my time reading like old grimoires and stuff that have these, like, crazy diagrams of, like, you know, Earth-centric universes. And this design document reminded me of a lot of this, like, a lot of these crazy grimoires. For Pepsi. All right, I have it open on my phone. All right, you got it pulled up? All right, so let's let's dive into this. Awesome. All right, page one. Uh, A. How do we move from convention to innovation? B. By investing in our history and brand ethos, we can create a new trajectory forward. C. The investment in our DNA leads to breakthrough innovation and allows us to move out of the traditional linear system into the future. D. Continued investments provide us with a clear resource for reinvention. This is the first page. It just... I mean, like... uh the the diagrams too are just so like simple and silly it's like the first one is like it's like the word convention with a long arrow to the word innovation like this feels like a parody. Uh, yes <laughs> of course uh just in case just in case you didn't know this document is what the uh the lemon demon song redesign your logo is based on oh that's awesome i need to re-listen to that song after this yeah we'll include it in uh the show notes everything's connected okay uh let's head down to page three the pepsi ethos has evolved over time the vocabulary of truth and simplicity is a reoccurring phenomena in the brand's history it communicates the brand in a timeless manner and with an expression of clarity pepsi breathtaking builds on this knowledge True innovation always begins by investigating the historic path. Going back to the roots moves the brand forward as it changes the, tra- the trajectory of the future. Page five. You got something to say? We're in a cult. Oh, man. Just you wait. Page five. Breathtaking universal design principles. Breathtaking is a strategy based on the evolution of 5,000 plus years of shared ideas in design philosophy, creating an authentic constitution of design. This chart documents the origin and evolution of intellectual property. So where does Pepsi begin? 3000 BC, Vastu Sastra. Hindu tradition of of numerical harmony as spatial organizer. Featured are several pictures of of, uh, Hindu mandalas. 
600 BC, Musica Mundana, Pythagoras creates spatial hierarchies for musical scales, 300 BC, Golden Ratio, Euclid explores the mathematics and proportion of nature, pictured below is an image of the Parthenon, 278 BC, Feng Shui, ancient Chinese art of placement and spatial arrangement pictured are several images of magnetic fields, as well as a yin-yang symbol. 70 BC, Vitruvian principle, in De Architectura, he demands, strong, useful, beautiful. 1452, the art of building, Alberti draws on the relation of numbers and areas. 1455, Vitruvian Renaissance, rediscovery of the Vitruvian principles and their publication. 1637, La Geometrie, Descartes develops the Cartesian coordinate system. 1858, the Mobius Strip, Mobius creates a surface with only one side and edge. 1948, the Modulor, de Corbusier, draws algebraic relations in the human body 2009 Pepsi <laughs> Pepsi introduces breathtaking <laughs> page 8 breathtaking tracing the Pepsi DNA 1898 1896 Pepsi geometries perimeter oscillations the Pepsi DNA finds its origin in the dynamic of perimeter oscillations the this new identity manifests itself in an authentic geometry that is to become proprietary to the Pepsi culture. The next six pages are images of various Pepsi Cola logos with every curve extended into an ellipses, and it is unclear as to why this is important. Six pages? Why do we need six? <laughs> you crammed the- like like 4,000 years of human design history into the bottom half of one page and then spent six pages on ellipses deconstructions of old Pepsi logos. It's so, it's such like, oh my god. Page 17. C. Towards innovation. Projecting Pepsi's future. Applying universal laws to establish a blueprint for the brand. Breathtaking. Creation of identity. Precedence. Artists and architects have proportioned their works to approximate the golden ratio, especially in the form of the golden rectangle, in which the ratio of the longer side is shorter to the golden ratio. They believe this proportion to be universally and aesthetically pleasing. The golden ratio plays an essential role in perception of human beauty. What follows are several descriptions of the golden ratio, including the Parthenon, the Mona Lisa, and the Nautilus shell. Page 18. Breathtaking creation of identity, a blueprint for proportions. A. The golden ratio. It starts with a square. B. The Pepsi ratio. (laughs) It starts with a circle. What follows is an utterly nonsensical set of instructions for constructing the new Pepsi logo. It ends with eight. The Pepsi ratio is aesthetic geometry. (laughs) Page 20. Breathtaking. Creation of identity. Dynamic forces. The Earth's geodynamo. A naturally occurring electric generator in fluid motion generates and sustains the Earth's magnetic field. A. The Pepsi globe. B. (laughs) Magnetic fields. Magnetic fields exert forces on inner and outer surfaces of the Earth. B. Pepsi energy fields. Symmetrical energy fields in balance. C. Magnetic dynamics. Fields are impacted by solar radiation and wind motion. C. The Pepsi globe dynamics. Emotive forces shape the gestalt of brand identity. Breathtaking. Creation of identity. Multiple perspectives. 
This page has several proposed Pepsi logos matched up with emoticon-like faces. Pages 24 and 25 are perhaps the only two useful pages so far, depicting yeah. a concept for a raised logo on the can and a short diagram of the color theory behind the coloring of various Pepsi sub-brands like Pepsi Max. This is where most brand guideline documents would start. <laughs> right! Page 26. Breathtaking. Creation of identity. Gravitational oh, pull. <laughs> Attraction theory, the Pepsi proportion, the Pepsi proposition establishment of a gravitational pull to shift from a transactional experience to a invitational expression. This page details the quote gravitational pull of Pepsi. Page twenty-seven, breathtaking creation of identity, the Pepsi universe. A. Universe expansion. The universe expands exponentially with f of x is equal to e of x. One light year is equal to 671 million miles per hour. B. The Pepsi orbits dimensionalize exponentially. What follows are three images detailing a Pepsi planet, a Pepsi galaxy, and a Pepsi universe. And this is where the document ends. I just... Take your time. Okay. The... For one for one thing, this is this whole presentation is not even that well designed. No, it's not. <laughs> like there's too much All white space. All of this is space. bullshit. There's too much white space in a lot of the pages and there's there's not enough white space white space in a lot of the pages it, i mean it, it feels like something that like a sophomore graphic design student would make and like it, it it's w- like something a sophomore graphic design student would make in a rush like this is yeah, what they yeah they would they, they would made. get a, a b minus on their project well this is this is what they would this is the project they turned in that they like you know they didn't do it and so they tried to do it like on the ride to school with their laptop <laughs> on like yeah like in class like it's due at the end of class and they're just like doing it in in photoshop on their computer it, it's so bare bones and so such like clearly bullshit yeah well so there's the bare bones design aspect compared with the utterly equally bombastic and nonsensical and like just batshit insane copy that's just right. like what are you talking about <laughs> right like the and words are just like wh- like what is going on right. what the fuck is the the gravitational pull of pepsi and yeah. how does that help us sell soda you jackass the pepsi globe one world powered by pepsi one people power and like keep in mind this is a brand that sells carbonated sugar water that's not good for you right it's soda (laughs) it's not like 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 (laughs) if you have to read anything that we mention on this podcast you have to read breathtaking yes well you have to like if you didn't already go back and follow along like it's A podcast cannot do this document justice. Yeah. <laughs> and it's short. It'll take you it'll take you two minutes to read through. Exactly. There's not a lot there. It's very bare bones. 
and it's mostly like a good 35 percent of it is just the pepsi old pepsi logos broken down into ellipses right into circles which there's no like he never explains why he was doing that yeah or how it helps like he never he never builds on any of this shit it's just like here's a thing i did with the pepsi logo so here's my question yeah like he did end up redesigning the pepsi logo right like they used his new logo yeah which means the pepsi executives read this document and were like we're sold you've convinced us no 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 it meant that um it meant that what's his fuck the the guy that hired him read the logo because all of the other executives left oh right i forgot that they all left and now i know why right and so so okay how how did the business work oh yeah um so the pepsi company paid a million dollars for this document god uh, this, this so is a million insulting. dollar document this this document is worth more than the house that i am currently recording in yeah like so it's just so like, i mean it shows that like peter arnell's like like his mastery of branding where he can just be like you, you can he can sell literally nothing which is what this document is it's nothing it's like uh, i made talk- a cool new logo for you here's a bunch of bullshit why we we can we'll definitely talk about it later but i think i think what this was was peter arnell like believing his hype too much right i think i think he started he started getting this idea that he was some sort of transcendental genius that could just do whatever he wanted yeah and i i I think he lost sight of the fact that he does actually have to design an effective brand. Yeah, this is like the the Kanye West story. Yes, yeah. No, that's that's the perfect metaphor. Right. This is like yeah, this is late Kanye. Yeah. <sighs> so how did the business world react to all of that? This is from an article by uh, Daniel Lyons for Newsweek. Mm-hmm. And this this is where I think we're going to get the most complete picture of okay. Peter Arnell. Okay. <clears throat> it's a gray Wednesday morning, and I'm chasing Peter Arnell through the streets of Midtown Manhattan. We're supposed to be going on a walk, but Arnell doesn't walk. He dashes from Brioni, from which he does his tailoring, to Hatsuhana, his favorite sushi restaurant, to the Seagram building, where he offers me an impromptu lecture about the building's architect, Ludwig Mies. Arnell wears a gray Tom Ford suit and his trademark Corbusier-style eyeglasses. He puffs on a Zigo Platinum, on a Zeno Platinum cigar, a brand he helped create, and talks to just about everyone. Rounding a corner, he spots a bagel vendor who's selling Tropicana orange juice. He rushes over, picks up a carton, and asks the vendor what he thinks of the new packaging. Quote, I designed this, Arnell says. Uh, how's it selling? Is it doing well? The vendor raves about the new design. You see that? Arnell says as we're walking away. That guy loves it. Why can't he have a freaking blog, right? Actually, actually, the word Arnell uses is not freaking. He's using it a lot. Last year, his, quote, brand architecture company, the Arnell Group, won a contract from PepsiCo to redesign the Pepsi logo and create new packaging for Tropicana, a PepsiCo brand. 
The new Pepsi logo drew mixed reactions, but the Tropicana boxes, which debuted in January, drove people nuts. Customers said the box was so different that they couldn't find Tropicana on the shelf anymore. They missed the familiar orange-with-a-straw picture. The blogosphere lit up with criticism. One blogger called Arnell, quote, the Bernie Madoff of brands. Oh, God. People started comparing the situation to the 1985 New Coke disaster. In February, only a month later, Tropicana announced it would revert to the old packaging. That fiasco will cost Tropicana some money, but it could do even more damage to Arnell, who's been called one of the greatest brand imp impresarios of our age. Quote, Peter is an artist. He's a genius, says Steve Stote, a former partner of Arnell's firm who now runs a rival branding firm. Hmm. The characters on Mad Men have nothing on Peter Arnell. They're not even close. Over the past not two decades... No, it's not. Not at all. Over the past two decades, his agency has done high-profile work for clients like Samsung, Banana Republic, and McDonald's, uh, Home Depot, and, and Pfizer. That iconic ad for Donna Karan's DKNY line, with the giant letters and the black-and-white photographs of New York, that's Arnell. Yet... Despite his achievements, some rivals dismiss Arnell as a pompous, pretentious, phony intellectual. A fraud, basically. Yeah. That criticism seemed on target when, in the midst of Tropicana's controversy, someone leaked a 27-page memo Arnell wrote for PepsiCo crammed with so much pseudo-intellectual claptrap uh, trap references to the Mona Lisa, the Parthenon, the Golden Ratio, the relativity of space and time, magnetic fields, quote, perimeter oscillations of the Pepsi logo, the, quote, gravitational pull of a can of Pepsi on a supermarket shelf, the rate of expansion of the universe, and some thought it might be a hoax. It wasn't. In the small and catty world of advertising and design, Arnell's stumble has been a cause for celebration. The schadenfreude on Madison Avenue hangs so thick you can practically taste it. <laughs> Still, even people who don't like Arnell, and there are many, will admit grudgingly that he is a terrific salesman. The name P.T. Barnum gets mentioned, and that he's done some wonderful work. Arnell shoots his own photographs and directs his own TV commercials. He designs logos. He designs stores. He helped revamp the Fontainebleau Hotel in Miami and is helping design the $3 billion Fontainebleau Resort in Las Vegas. But, wow. in fact, Arnell's greatest invention may be himself. Over the years, Arnell, 50, has turned himself into a powerhouse brand, wrapping himself in myth and packaging his personal narrative with the same flair he brings to a Super Bowl ad. The remarkable story of Peter Arnell is one of a bright kid of a bright kid from Brooklyn who starts out with little more than a high school diploma and a huge dose of chutzpah, talks his way into the advertising business, and ends up becoming a huge success with a stunning Manhattan office and a mansion on an estate in suburban Katona, where he, uh, wherever he goes, he is trailed by smartly dressed junior executives who carry his canvas bags and write down everything he says in meetings. Right now, however. This nearly perfect life is being marred by that freaking juice box ad. Arnell claims it doesn't bother him, but when you spend some time around him, you very quickly realize that A, he is extremely insecure, and B, uh, he knows that this mess has damaged him, and C, 
he wants to move past this as quickly as possible. That's probably why he agreed to let me spend two days following him around. He'll address Tropicana and then bury it with a blizzard of information about everything else he's working on. Smart marketing, no? We meet for breakfast at Saint Ambrose, a restaurant on the Upper East Side. Arnel talks, and talks, and talks, about his grandfather, his childhood, his work with the Special Olympics, and his work with the 9-11 Tribute Center. He talks about Caravaggio, and Hayden, and Mozart. He talks about losing 250 pounds, and going from 407 to 152 pounds in 30 months by eating the exact same food every day. Carrots, cucumber slices, and steamed cauliflower dipped in mustard and sesame seeds. There's a so quick weird. stop. Yeah, it's, there's a quick stop at a video editing studio where Arnell tinkers with the color of Kyra Sedgwick's hair in an upcoming Tropicana commercial. Then we hit the streets on foot. Outside Federal Hall, Arnell stops to chat with a busker. Then, as he does this, another man approaches the busker. Arnell asks the man if he's a tourist. The man goes. The man says no. He lives in West Village and works in advertising. Arnell introduces himself. Oh my gosh, the guy says, and then gushes about how much he loves the new Tropicana packaging. Arnell swears, Arnell swears this is not a setup, but who knows what's real and what's stagecraft. Right. The entire day is a form of theater, with Arnell in the lead role and his underlings serving as the supporting cast. Arnell's wife, Sarah, works at the agency as its, quote, chief strategy officer. Uh, isn't, what was... Isn't no, that... No, 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 the, the, the title of Adam Newman's wife was, like, Chief Impact Officer or something. No, wasn't it Chief Thought Officer? Yeah, Chief Thought Officer, that was it. I couldn't remember if that was a joke that we made or... That well, was no, it was, it, it was real, and then we made a joke that you spell it T-H-O-T. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then, like, that's what, I, that's what you call your GF or something. Yeah, that's, like, a weird connection, like, another weird Adam Newman connection. There's, There's a lot of, like... I, he's like he's like chunks of a lot of other you know bumbling executives that we've mentioned on this yeah. show but he's he's like a like a patchwork Frankenstein of a lot of different ones right huh. Arnell Arnell says she has told him to tone down his swearing when he's with me nevertheless he swears constantly quote I'm a street rat from Brooklyn he says by way of explanation the Arnells have three children he collects toy soldiers and model spaceships and antique eyewear. He owns 1,600 pairs of eyeglasses, all fitted with his prescription. Jeez. Quote, You seen this house? It's a museum, says Martha Stewart, uh, a friend and neighbor. Having done advertising work in the New York Fire Department, he's managed to get a fire department badge and radio, and has outfitted his Jeep, uh, his Jeep commander with flashing lights. Which, like, that's Isn't that like, illegal? I don't know, but it's like such kid shit. It's like yeah, he's got a little fireman badge. Does he have one of those plastic hats? Right. It's like gonna go gonna go to sleep in his race car bed. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I have. I'm in no position to judge. I would love a fucking race car bed. Like that'd be hilarious. Yeah. But you we, you can't have that after what happened yeah. last time. Yeah, I'm sorry. So I'm a big. Big, <laughs> I'm a big non-binary now. Now I was gonna say uh, you're, you brought the race car to life and ran over some people right uh, a lot of people died 
No, it's it's not because you're immature, CT. It's because you killed people. <laughs> <laughs> it's because people literally died. People died, CT. Children were lying on the ground, dead. <laughs> okay, okay. Two former business associates who requested an- anonymity to avoid damaging their relationship with Arnell yeah. say Arnell Arnell. Oh my God. Say Arnell carried a handgun in an ankle holster. What? Ar- Arnell acknowledges only having a gun permit uh, and says stories of him carrying it at work are, quote, inaccurate. He also carries a Sony digital camera and he snaps pictures constantly. 75,000 in the past 12 months. Which, like, that's not weird. He's a photographer. Yeah. The gun thing, though. <laughs> right. It's like. Peter, why do you have a gun? <laughs> you never know these design executives <laughs> trying to pull one, pull a fast one on me. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't talk to me until you, until you've existed in the, the sleek and dangerous world of Hollywood advertising. <laughs> just ima- I just imagine. I got assassins like, after me. Him, like, it just reminds me of the big, Le- the scene of the Big Lebowski where Walter pulls out a gun. When Smokey, <laughs> market zero. <laughs> like I could imagine Peter Arnell just like flipping out about something. Like, fix the copier. <laughs> You're entering a world of pain. You think I'm <laughs> fucking around? <laughs> Walter, you were never in Vietnam. <laughs> it's like that scene in the office where it's like they're they're doing the CPR dummy, and I for, I think it was Dwight like. It's like, all right, we gotta harvest the organs, and he rolls up his pant leg and takes out a Bowie knife yeah. <laughs> and starts like dissecting the like the the CPR dummy. Yeah, I mean, like, I wouldn't be surprised if Peter Arnell had like had multiple weapons on his person at all times. It's like it's. I think I don't think he's lying about taking the gun to work though. Yeah. Because you know for a fact that if Peter if Peter Arnell had like a derringer up his like up his pant leg at work, you know that he would whip it out constantly. Yeah, oh yeah. Like he would he would wave that thing around so fucking much. Right. Like, if he actually did that, there would be so many stories about him doing that. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> An assistant uploads and catalogs all of the pictures. Arnell... <laughs> God. I keep forgetting, like, these sentences. Like, <laughs> Arnell devours oranges. About 20 a day. Oh, which, no. tur- which turns his hands yellow. I was when right. He's... Magic school bus was right. <laughs> when he's done one bowl, an assistant whisks away the peels and brings in another. When he's done a bowl... <laughs> When he's done with a bowl. But I love that he has, like, a, an assistant has, like, more fucking bowls of oranges ready. It's like, where he, like, I, I can picture him, like, slamming the bowl on the ground and being like, another! <laughs> like, smashing the ceramic bowl. Like, one of the poor assistants, that, like, he makes the, the assistant, like, clean it up in bare feet. Right. Right, he has some, like... He has some crazy, like, dominatrix maid covered in leather. Yeah. <laughs> he, like, who walks onto the, the shattered glass and picks up all of the oranges. It's a symbiotic <laughs> relationship. Right. Equally beneficial to both parties. Oh, my God. <laughs> she, like, as she, like, <laughs> sits, 
like brings him his new bowl of oranges and like bites his neck and draws blood (laughs) and he just keeps talking like doesn't even break stride and she's like the one person to defend him it's like no i was totally down with all that right (sighs) arnell grew up in sheepshead bay down on the southern end of brooklyn his father a mechanical engineer changed the family name from from abramovitz to arnell His maternal grandfather, a Jewish immigrant from Russia, was a fishmonger in the Fulton Fish Market. As a boy, Arnell sometimes went to work with him. He remembers crossing the Brooklyn Bridge into Manhattan at midnight, seeing the and seeing the skyscrapers. That bridge, he says, was like a gateway to fantasy land. He graduated from Brooklyn Technical High School in 1976 and was working odd jobs when he attended a lecture by postmodernist architect uh, Michael Graves. He introduced himself and talked his way into an internship at Graves' office. There he met Ted Bickford, a Princeton architecture student. Soon Arnell and Bickford started collaborating on books about artists and architecture. In the early 1980s, Don Mello, then fashion director at Bergdorf Goodman, hired them to create ads. By 1985, the Arnell Bickford agency was booking $4.4 million a year, and Adweek was touting the 27-year-old Arnell as a rising young star. Businesses rolled in. Anne Klein, Bank of America, Chanel, Condé Nast, Consolidated Edison, Ray-Ban, Rockport, Tommy Hilfiger. Arnell became known as somebody with fresh ideas whose eccentricities are worth tolerating. Quote, The first time I met him, I didn't think I could work with him, says Mickey Pant, uh, chief marketing officer at Yum! Brands and former <laughs> marketing boss at Reebok. But over the years, I've learned to, ex- to respect his instincts. Which, like, that goes a long way for, like, talking about how genuinely skilled Arnell was. Right. It's like these other... They were able to tolerate all this stuff. Well, it's like these other dickhead business executives who are always so, like, prissy and need everything done their way were willing to put up with this this colossal cockwagon. Right. Because he was really, really good at his job. Yeah, exactly. And he did work, like work that probably like revitalized a lot of brands that that is it's not even a question it took he he completely revitalized on pretty much every single one of these brands right those instincts are on display during the afternoon i spent in arnell's brand new glass wrapped office space on the cert on the 36th floor of seven world trade center there are white leather couches uh a a 105-inch flat-screen panel TV, amazing views of Manhattan and the harbor. Arnell works at a conference table, surrounded by staffers. They watch me in silence as he examines paper samples for a book he's producing. There's a meeting with a team to talk about building a train. There's a phone call with somebody named Jay. Arnell puts the call on speakerphone. In case I don't recognize the voice, he stage whispers to me, It's Jay Leno. Afterward, he calls Ben Silverman, co-chairman of NBC Entertainment, and Rudy Giuliani, but he can't get them on the phone. Arnell has been compared to movie mogul Harvey Weinstein, Uh. meaning you could fill a book with horror stories about his cruel behavior, screaming at people, even hitting them. Quote, he has this remarkable capacity to be both the most intoxicating character, lovable, brilliant, seductively intellectual, and then turn on a dime and be staggeringly cruel, says a former business associate who spoke on the condition of anonymity for fear of alienating Arnell. 
This person recalls Arnell's Arnell humiliating employees by making them get down and do push-ups in front of clients. He is unencumbered with any sense of morality. Until you experience it firsthand, it's just completely and utterly unfathomable. In 1996, Arnell was sued by four women, former business associates, who claimed he abused and degraded them. The suit was settled out of court, but even afterward, Arnell's behavior continued to offend. A woman who worked for Arnell years later says he, st he still delighted in bringing assistance to tears. Quote, Everybody cries, without exception. She says, a spokeswoman also says, quote, the lengths of these tales are greatly exaggerated. Arnell says some employees have been with him for more than a decade, and why would they stay if he's so awful? Advertising Age estimates Arnell's firm booked revenues of about $25 million in 2007 alone. Wow. Uh, the firm employs 170 people and bills itself not as an ad agency, but as a, quote, multidisciplinary brand and product invention company that, quote, examines the space between brand assets and consumer desire to, quote, help brands capture and realize differentiation by exploiting a unique emotional dimension. So, branding. Yeah, right. It's a lot of words to, for something that could be described right. in, in one. That just sounds like an ad agency with extra steps. <laughs> no wonder Arnell says his leaked PepsiCo memo, with its references to Euclid and Pythagoras and Leonardo da Vinci, and Leonardo da Vinci's Vitruvian Man, makes perfect sense. Arnell also can't understand the kerfuffle over his work for Tropicana. Quote, Can you imagine some, uh, can you imagine such mishegos over a freaking box of juice, he says? I can't believe that for the rest of my life I'm going to be known as Peter Tropicana Arnell. He says Tropicana overreacted to complaints. Quote, I have my own personal perspective on it, but it's not my brand and it's not my company. So what the hell? I got paid a lot of money and I have 30 other projects. You move on. Neil Campbell, president of Tropicana North America, says Tropicana will continue working with Arnell. Oh. Which, like... I have my own perspective on it. It's like, buddy, they had a 20% sales drop. Yeah, not like, the way I see it. Yeah, it's, ah, it's just my opinion. It's like, no, there are numbers, man. You active, like, you definitively hurt the brand. I don't see it as a 20% sales drop. I see it as an 80% sales stay. <laughs> it's not a 20% sales drop. It's a, it's a 20% inverse profit <laughs> ratio. Yeah, Ugh. fuck you. <laughs> ah, fuck you. What are you going to do? Hey, how you doing? Neil Campbell. Uh, never mind. I read, I read that before. Later, later, when we're sitting outside Arnell's office in his Jeep Commander so Arnell can take a cigarette break, he says a lot of the backbiting comes from people who are jealous of his success. Quote, mm -hmm. who else is winning business in this economy? You expect this when you're in my business. It's like, Arnell, you like, you like put people in joint locks yeah. and like verbally berate them. You absolutely deserve all of the hate that you're getting. Yeah, you make people. That one woman said, "You make people cry without exception." Like everyone right. in the office has been brought right. to tears. Pe Peter, literally everyone you interact with, you make cry. I just I cannot fathom like being in a job where your boss makes you cry. Like, right? Yeah, it's like the only the only way that 
you stay in that job like because this isn't nobody is working with peter arnell out of desperation you know right right and so the only reason that you work with peter arnell is if you are also a sociopath yeah right which isn't necessarily a bad thing it's like sure if you can put up with the fuck whatever man yeah i mean right i'm sure you get paid well right it's just whatever man you do you um on day two arnell meets me in a chrysler skunk works building outside detroit where engineers are working on a little battery powered vehicle called the peapod arnell has overseen development of the peapod and even put his initials as in peter eric arnell into the name he says it's not a car, but rather a new category he's invented, called a, quote, Moby. He describes its design as, quote, a mix of Darth Vader, a bullet train, and a Citron du Cheval. Um, With... What? Where does Darth That's... Vader go come into it? Who the fuck knows, man? I, I love the Citron du Cheval. It's... That's just like a type of orange. Of course, he brings freaking mentions oranges. Right. Get over it, man. With no <laughs> Right, I didn't even realize <laughs> the orange connection. You're it's addicted. Like... <laughs> I got to get off stop. These... I got to get off these oranges. <laughs> First one's always free. With no air conditioning and a top speed of 25 miles per hour, the $12,000 Peapod is basically a fancy golf cart. Arnell hopes people will buy them for doing errands around town. He wants to call customers quote p pole like p a p e a p l e which like people like p e e that's that's what you should call them peter <laughs> right he's decided that he will call his customers quote little pee pee boys <laughs> <laughs> named after himself of course yeah <laughs> He affectionately refers to customers as, quote, little pee-pants boys <laughs> who, who, pee, who pee their pants all the time. Do a little pee dance and pee you their little, little... pee-pants. <laughs> and he has designed a line of accessories. <laughs> He's designed a line of accessories. Pens, flashlights, t-shirts, baseball caps, shopping carts, picnic baskets, yoga bags, gardening sets. He's even designed fragrance inserts that create an aromatherapy experience while you drive pee scented this one's called pee pants <laughs> <laughs> quote i would argue this business could be hundreds of hundreds of millions of dollars he says his counterpart at the meeting a veteran chrysler chrysler engineer just nods and says uh-huh <laughs> which like it's exactly that fucking adam newman bullshit of like yeah we're worth 60 billion dollars yeah yeah, it's probably more, and probably since I said that, I doubled or tripled in value as yeah, well. Yeah, I have, like, I, I was going to invent the scrapeboard, but I already have five million <laughs> scrapeboards. I have my own pizza like... oven at home. <laughs> we move on to Chrysler headquarters in Auburn Hills, Michigan, where Arnell meets with a team from a small software company that develops programs for Apple's iPhone and iPod. The Peapod has an iPod dock in its dashboard. The software guys have created a, quote, green meter application that would let the iPod track how much carbon you're saving by driving a Peapod rather than a regular car. Why can't you meter... build that into the Peapod? Why do you have because... to plug your iPod It's into about it? the cross-branding, Evan. True. That's true. How silly of me. Integrated. 
integrated. <laughs> Ow! The meeting quickly turns weird, however, as Arnell, chomping oranges and spitting out seeds, starts expounding. <laughs> God. What the hell? I'm just imagining him, like, just, just like, sloppily devouring oranges while these other... <laughs> Like, sloppily devouring oranges and spitting the seeds at the other executives. Yeah. They have to dodge. <laughs> it's just like... They're, they're, they're going into this completely straight, like... So yeah, we're, we're talking about further cross-branding arrangements, but we're thinking of... We're thinking of doing, like, an inlaid deck so that the iPod isn't standing up because it damages the, the charging dock as the, the car drives. And he's just like... <laughs> he that, remember in... I don't know if you've seen that Steven Universe episode where Steven and his dad are eating watermelon and spitting out the seeds. And, like, Steven yeah, has, like, yeah, yeah. a helicopter move, like, where he, like, he spits right. out the seeds like a sprinkler. Like, I, I imagine Peter doing that. <laughs> Ah, everyone's like ducking like under the desk <laughs> he's like right he's not he's not spitting them out one at a time he's like he's just eating orange after orange and then like saving them in his cheeks yeah. like a chipmunk and then like <laughs> 90 saving minutes them like the M&M's in a McFlurry for last <laughs> and then ah oh, damn I want a McFlurry now but he's like <laughs> he's like saving them up in his cheeks <laughs> like a squirrel and then 90 minutes into the meeting he just goes like <gasps> You know it's like a ticking time bomb. You know, like it's like those, like you, you know, at water parks they have those like big buckets that slowly fill up and then just dump out at you. Like after a while, you don't know when. Like it's that so you're just like anticipating. Like oh crap, he's gonna spit out the seeds. Oh, I know it's coming. You can see his cheeks like expanding. All the all the executives are just like. <laughs> All the executives have like you know they've been in meetings with him before and they know what happens yeah, and so they've heard the stories for ninety minutes they're watching him just de like sloppily devour these oranges as his cheeks slowly expand <laughs> and they they all know what's going to happen <laughs> and then <laughs> at, at the end of the meeting he like they're like all right I I think we're gonna I think we're gonna wrap this up. It's like, all right, Peter, it was a, it was a, a pleasure working with And he just, like, tackles one of them and pins them to the ground and then, like, spits, like, hundreds of orange seeds oh, up there. Oh, no! No, no! Jimmy, no! Not, not again! They're, like, trying to pull him, like, pull Peter Arnell <laughs> off like, of him. like, spitting the seeds from his mouth into Jimmy's mouth <laughs> and, like, inflating Jimmy's cheek. <laughs> it's like in SpongeBob when, when they're... When... SpongeBob is shooting the snowballs at Patrick, and it's going into his mouth, and like, <laughs> Tony, not again! <laughs> Just got out of the hospital. I was, I was spitting up orange seeds for a week, but goddamn, that man's a genius. Goddamn, can that man integrate a brand? <laughs> God. Anyway. Fuck. Oh my god. Yeah, really happened. That actually happened. Yes. It's a true story. <laughs> it's just a true story. Yes, yes, yes. True story. Uh. 
The meeting quickly turns weird, however, as Arnell, <laughs> chomping oranges and spitting out the seeds, starts expounding on Magritte's ceci n'est pas un peep dadaism, uh, Murray Oppenheim's fur teacup at the Museum of Modern Art, uh, the way Martha Stewart examines the leaves of a flower, the logo on 1968 Olympics, <laughs> on the logo for the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, the style of the uh, uh, Yves Saint Laurent dresses, wristwatches, polar bears stranded on ice floes, the website, the website of Jenny Craig, the poor software guys who've never met Arnell and don't know what to expect, just sit there looking befuddled, but trying their best to play along. Right. Quote, you say garden, but I say Versailles. Or, sorry, let me rephrase. You say garden, but I say Versailles, Arnell <laughs> says. You see what I mean? What's the aspirational currency? Are you tracking me? They nod. What else can they do? They've scored a meeting with the chief innovation officer at Chrysler, a guy who can greenlight their project. So what if they have no clue what he's talking about? Yeah. It's their job to sit and listen. Right. It's not mine, however. I have a plane to catch, which is a good thing. If I stay much longer, I fear that my head might explode. Either that, or I'll burst out laughing. After I leave, it occurs to me that the way to understand Peter Arnell is to think of everything he does as a kind of high-stakes performance art. Not just the commercials and the advertising, but everything. The meetings... The memos, the celebrity phone calls, the crazy brainstorming genius shtick. When it works, it works. And you know why? You can study it, but you can't explain it. So yeah. Peter Arnell's secluded PepsiCo... Uh, so Peter Arnell seduced PepsiCo into forking over millions of dollars. And that gave them a memo about perimeter oscillations and the gravitational pull of a soda pop can. Is that nuts? Probably. But guess what? While the new Tropicana box fizzled, Pepsi says Arnell's logo for its soda cans is working. Quote, mm. Our business momentum has really changed, says Berwick, PepsiCo's marketing boss. Customers like the new design. Our bottlers like it. We're happy with the work. I keep remembering something Arnell told me when we sat down to breakfast in New York. Quote, It's all bullshit. He says, a logo on a can of soda? Please. My life is bullshit. Did he really mean that? Maybe. Or maybe, like everything else, it was all just part of the act. Oh my and god. There you go. That concludes our episode. <laughs> well, thank you. As always. Um, wonderful work. Uh, <laughs> just, that, was a, that was a unique unique story. So, like i it's i think it's like i genuinely don't know what to think about peter arnell yeah you know right i i he's a genius he's a terrible person he's an actor but it's like does it pay off is it worth it is he a fraud yeah i I genuinely don't know i right i think we have equal evidence to suggest both I think I think he almost transcends the idea of being a fraud because right. in advertising it's like advertising is the science of getting people to believe shit that isn't true. Right. You know? Exactly. It's it's all an act. And yep. I think Peter Arnell is just a brilliant ad guy. 
yeah i mean he's incredibly rich so like he's right. successful at, at what he does um he's like in high demand and he's worked with, with the biggest brands in the country like whatever it is whatever he has it works yeah i i don't know but that basically concludes our episode if you liked what you heard please follow us on patreon you get access to uh every episode a week early as well as a bonus secret podcast called business desserts and whatever extra fun bonus content that we want to put on there higher tiers get uh every every month you get to uh vote on on episode topics that we're thinking of doing merch ideas random things sometimes fun interactive things and on the highest tier you get your name in the show notes of every episode you get immortalized in the the annals of desperate acts of capitalism and who doesn't want that (laughs) remember to remember to follow us on tumblr instagram and twitter stay updated about the podcast that you love do it do it thank you for listening thank you for listening next time we love you big things are coming big things are coming